0: Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Liz, and if we haven't met yet, yes, I am one of the lead pastors here at Life. It's good to be with you on this spring, spring morning. So when you have um, a question or a problem in life, what do you do? Do you consult Google right away? You know, you whip out your phone, Google it, you know, look up that question as quick as you can. Do you, you know, just try to rack your brain, think, okay, you know, what's the answer to this? I'm gonna, I'm gonna pursue it until I figure it out. Do you sometimes, you know, ask a friend, phone a friend, Or do you sometimes ignore it and just hope, you know, it'll pass and, you know, life will go on? Well, I'll tell you, um, I'm a researcher by nature in my personality. And so I am always Googling random things that come to my brain. Um, And another thing I do is I buy books on any subject that I'm curious about, right? So I'll go straight to Amazon, I'll look up whatever my problem is, what's the top book on the subject, parenting, you know, anything, and it's on my shelf. Do I read every single book? No, (laughs) but I am well equipped with all the world's problems on my bookshelf. So you can come by anytime if if you wanna answer a question about something. Um, As humans, we are naturally curious people. That is innate inside of us. It's part of our nature. We're created to explore and wonder and question and doubt. And that's what separates us from other mammals on Earth, is this curiosity, this, this mind that we have. And, you know, we see it really clearly in children right they it just comes so naturally for kids and maybe you can remember back to your own childhood when you were like really fascinated by something you really needed to know more about something or you spent your time you know uh, zoned in on some hobby or activity because you had to know more when i was in third grade it was a really like fascinating time of learning for me I remember every unit we went through in class I just was like eating it up I was absorbed in learning and we did this one unit on Egyptians and I thought that was just mind-blowing the way that they um, they cared for the bodies after the after they died um, they, the way they prepared the bodies for burial I thought it was fascinating that they like stuck a hook up your nose and would take out pieces of brain tissue and then they would take your organs and preserve them in jars you know just for the afterlife I just thought this is amazing and then you know we had a book fair at at my school and I got a book on mummies right and it was this 3D model of of making um, this uh, Egyptian mummy in the sarcophagus, and you know, I built the whole thing and worked really hard on it, and I was so proud of it. And then that spring, we went on a, a field trip to the Field Museum in Chicago, and they had an excellent mummy exhibit. You could see a real-life mummy that had been there forever, and I was just fascinated by it. Now my daughter, I think, is entering a similar stage. She's ending second grade, about to be in third grade, and she has that that spark of curiosity as well. And at her recent book fair, I went with her and she picked out two things. One of them is this book, okay? It's about sharks, the ultimate eating machines, okay? And she was reading this book to me in the back of the van yesterday, and this was the page that she was reading from. It says, barf. Gross shark facts you won't forget. Now, do you want to hear one? <laughs> yeah, did it spark your curiosity? Okay, here's her favorite one that she told me this morning. Parasites eat Greenland sharks' eyeballs while they're still alive. Gross, barf. You want to know another one? <laughs> No? Okay, I'll give you another one. Frightened sharks vomit up their own stomachs. Okay, um, <laughs> I'll end with this. You'll love it. Shark poop comes out as a green cloud that other fish love to eat. Mm, now you're ready to eat some lunch, aren't ya? <laughs> you can come peruse it after... Ellie, if you tell her that uh, you learned one of her fun facts, she'll go crazy. She was like, you're going to use my book? So somewhere along the trajectory from childhood to adulthood, sometimes we lose some of that curiosity and wonder. You know, it can be conditioned by culture, by family, by religious communities that say certainty is best, right? Knowing what you know is the safest thing. And if you grew up in church, you might might have experienced a, a suppression of curiosity where you were encouraged to learn and memorize more than ask questions. And so you've suppressed some of those doubts. Or maybe you realize, like, I haven't asked a lot of questions about my faith. And so wherever you you find yourself on that trajectory, what I want to tell you through this series is that curiosity and wonder can actually bring a new and meaningful depth to our faith. We shouldn't fear questions. We can really embrace questions because they help us explore the depths of our faith and God more deeply. You know, the goal of a Jesus follower was never to just have all the perfect answers to life's questions. And in fact, when when Jesus taught, he often responded with more questions. He was a question man, not always an answer man. He would tell parables that were obscure and would leave people pondering and wondering what that, the meaning of his teaching really was. And he would ask people about their desires and their longings, and he would lead them to evaluate their life for themselves. So I, I think there's this beautiful invitation to bring our questions and doubts to Jesus, and that helps us lead a more authentic faith. It's it's curious that Jesus didn't come to the to earth teaching everyone exact doctrine and proper apologetics. You know, he didn't gather the disciples and say, okay, here's the right repeatable phrases that you should be sent out to go teach other people these right and repeatable phrases. Why didn't he just leave us a manuscript of like all the exact right beliefs that we should just all fall in line to from now until now? Eternity. That's that's not what he did. When you think about it, you think, Jesus, why didn't you do that? Why did you choose to teach in the way you did? Metaphorically, relationally, because he pursued relationships. He pursued people. He wasn't the type of teacher or leader or messiah that anyone expected. And so it's curious to wonder about Jesus and and how he did things and who he is. And so when you look at different passages, you see this wonder and this curiosity kind of drawing you in. So for instance, the story of the woman at the well. This is from John 4. It says, Jesus... You can follow along on uh, the screen. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat, sat down at the well. It was noon. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. And Jesus answered, If you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh, living water. The woman said, Sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, and this well is deep. So how are you going to get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it? He and his sons and livestock and passed it down to us. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artisan spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. And the woman said, Sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty, won't ever have to come back to this well again. He said, go and call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she said. Well, that's nicely put. I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. Oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worshiped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father, neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews, but the time is coming, and it has, in fact, come now when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking out for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very beings, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. The woman said, I don't know about that. I do know that the Messiah is coming. When he arrives, we'll get the whole story. I am he, said Jesus. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. So here this woman is going about her daily chores, which is part of coming to the well to draw water. And after Jesus approaches her, she questions him back. She wonders, why is Jesus talking to me? This is culturally abnormal, right? Her gender, her ethnicity as a Samaritan means that this rabbi leader should not engage with her at all, especially in public. And so she's questioning him. There's there's something different about Jesus that doesn't fit into any of her boxes that makes sense. And what is he talking about, this this living water? Jesus gives her this this metaphorical word picture of, of water that he can give to her that will quench her thirst indefinitely, and that seems really curious. What's he talking about? Like, she's never heard of such a thing. And then Jesus has this prophetic knowledge about her life that surprises her. So she knows, okay, he's not just any rabbi. There's something different about him. There's something awe-inspiring about this man, and, and she needs to know more. And Jesus explains that a new time has come. God's looking for worshipers that will meet him in their spirit, like God is spirit. There's no more barriers anymore. There's no more right family line or right place that you have to be born into or travel to. Right now, who you are can meet with God. You can in, engage with God right now in wonder and worship. And she says, you know, when the Messiah comes, he's going to explain everything to us. He's going to give us that manual, that manuscript, that's going to tell us all the right things to believe. And instead, he just offers her this word picture of living water, of, of what, what she really is desiring in her core. He says it's who you are and the way that you live that count before God. Your worship has to engage your spirit and the pursuit of truth. That kind of faith is an ongoing. Who you are and pursuing truth, those are like lifelong things. Who we are is is always transforming, pursuing more depths of of the spiritual world and who God is and, and how, how he is so different than us and the mystery of him, that's ongoing work. Faith is a pursuit. And, and the woman leaves this interaction. She rushes back to the village. She even leaves her water pot in confusion because she doesn't understand the interaction that just happened. And she rushes back to the village and she tells everybody come see a man who knew all the things i did who knows me inside out do you think he could be the messiah and so they went to go see for themselves the curiosity is just continuing it's multiplying he or she is pursuing after this puzzling interaction with Jesus, is who is he? What's true about him? Is he the Messiah? I mean, I'm kind of pulling pieces together. He kind, of, he kind of seems like it. This is the most interesting person she's ever met. She goes back and tells people now they're curious and they come see. And so their spirit is stirred to know more. It's really the difference when we're talking about doubts in our faith between wandering and wondering. And wandering sounds like this. It's from this this book, Stay Curious, How Questions and Doubts Can Save Your Faith. An excellent book if you want to follow along. We'll be using some of it um, during this sermon series. But wandering sounds like this. A man named Sam found himself in the wilderness of doubt unexpectedly after a broken relationship and some bad experiences with some Christians who didn't represent the heart of Jesus very well. And he felt like he was just plopped down in the middle of a forest so thick with trees that there were only glimmers of light that could get in. And he couldn't tell which way would lead him out of this, of this darkness and doubt? But he knew he had to do something. He tried to find books and, and movies and podcasts that addressed this, these questions that kept consuming his mind. And sometimes he would fall down an internet rabbit hole that he would just go down so deep before, you know, it's 2 a.m. and it's only a few more hours before he has to get up for work. These questions and and doubts would buzz around in his mind, especially when someone would talk about faith or the divine. And he found it difficult to quiet the noise in his mind when he needed to sleep or pay attention in a meeting at work. And so he would turn to hours of mind-numbing video games and nights out with friends, with other people that were just trying to numb their own pain and worry. He could escape the darkness for a time, but it was always short-lived. Not knowing how to take any intentional steps in, in any real direction, Sam began to just wander, feeling lost without a compass. And he eventually just found himself in what felt like quicksand, just stuck. And these pits, these places where you get stuck can come up unexpectedly and leave us in unknown terrain. They are seasons in our life that we often call wilderness seasons. They can catch us off guard and, and feel like we're just walking around aimlessly without much direction. Now wilderness is a theme that is typical for biblical characters. Wilderness experiences are often characterized by intense needs, temptations, isolation, danger for people in the Bible. But then they led to divine deliverance, renewal, and often amazing encounters with God. But when you're in the middle of wilderness, those questions and doubts can feel all Why does God allow these times? Why does God even lead us into seasons of wilderness? You know, we can see from Scripture that what God desires is for us to be free. And he's often leading us towards something greater or better, but we we can't decipher that in those wilderness confusing seasons. Now take the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness. They had more certainty when they were back in Egypt, but they were not free. They were held in captivity as slaves. And as they're wandering in the wilderness, they probably had lots of questions and doubts. God, are you even here? Why did you... Why did you lead us into the wilderness just to starve us and leave us with no water, right? No meat. We want to go back to Egypt. That's where things were great. And we knew what to expect. And we didn't have to wander around out here. Uncertainty is scary. Discomfort pushes on us. They asked questions like, should we find another god to worship? Let's just go make an idol. I don't think we can trust this god that's leading us into the wilderness. But what would it look like if instead of wandering through the wilderness, we would wander through the wilderness? That's that's the key difference in these Seasons of doubt in these times of questioning that can last for a long time. Wandering is often a coping mechanism that keeps us, that keeps the discomfort away. We saw that in Sam's story. Wandering is an active pursuit of these soul questions that keep rising up in us, that we don't run away from those questions, but we, we let wonder lead us in those questions. Wandering can be motivated by fear and apathy. Wonder is motiv- motivated by curiosity and discovering the endless mysteries of God. Now, wonder could take our fictitious friend Sam to a different ending. And Sam is (laughs) like us or like people that we know. There's like, we can identify a Sam in ourselves or in someone else. If someone like Sam enters one of these dark, wondering, doubtful seasons, what would it look like for him to let one, the wonder of his questions help lead him and navigate through the trees and the darkness. Yes, okay, the destination is still unknown. We're not exactly sure where we're gonna end up. Not all the questions are perfectly answered, but wonder helps us live, live lighter the questions don't weigh so, so heavy. <clears throat> when we wonder, we're able to engage with other people, engage in community, let other people help um, guide us and be companions along these kind of dark places of faith that are, that are confusing, where we struggle and we wrestle with our faith and God and Jesus and our beliefs. We let others come alongside us. We're not scared of community, we em- embrace community. And we take all of our questions and our wonderings to Jesus, and we take our life experiences, and we, we measure them with our faith. We don't, we don't just join our life experiences and faith, but we bring them all to Jesus and we decide to take responsibility for our faith formation, for the pursuit of truth. We don't push it away, but we embrace it. God is a, an infinite being, right? And we're very finite. He is spiritual and we are physical. So often our ways of understanding God and relating God, they have to um, evolve and embrace the, the mystery that is God. That's, that's what I, I love about the way um, I was reading from the message when I was reading the woman at the well story. And I love how it wraps it up and it says, the Father is looking, is out looking for those who are simply and honestly themselves before him. God is sheer being itself Spirit. So if you want to engage with God, you have to engage in your true self, your spirit. We often want to just engage intellectually and how, how can we pursue this knowledge of God and take away these right beliefs, right? Grow up and have all the right knowledge of God. But he's saying it is a spirit engagement. And... What is a wonderful avenue to pursue that is spiritual disciplines. Now this is my, um, my call to action today because spiritual disciplines could be a whole sermon series and maybe we'll do it someday, right? But these are the tools that you could use to engage your, your spirit, everything, your mind, your spirit, your temperament, your body. You bring it all to God for his transformation. You say, okay, these are just tools that help me engage with a mysterious God and allow him to speak, reveal who he is. So just a a few spiritual disciplines to whet your appetite so that you can leave this call-to-action moment and say, okay, I might want to pursue that one and learn more about it. I have it on the slide under call to action. Meditation, silence, solitude, prayer, fasting, study, journaling, simplicity, service, worship, sacrifice, confession. I also have a book, well I have a few in my office Okay, about spiritual disciplines and lists of spiritual disciplines and great examples of what you can do to live out one of these spiritual disciplines. But my call to action for you today is that you find one that sticks out to you, one that's comfortable or uncomfortable. It doesn't matter to me. And practice it this week. Think about what would it look like to just engage with God in a different way than maybe what you're used to. So these spiritual disciplines, um, I do a few through apps. You guys like apps, right? Like on your phone, okay? So this is my my endorsements. (laughs) Lectio 365, Lectio Divina is a way to do prayer and scripture reading in a more meditative way And that app is a great way that just boop, 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 takes you straight through it, okay? I like like things easy and accessible. As a millennial, (laughs) it has to just, it has to be easy for me. Reimagining the Examine, another great app that helps you just look over like, okay, God, where were you present today? What do I see in my desires? What do I see crop up in my mind? when I meditate on this or this. Super helpful, easy to walk through. So those are two apps that I really like. Two podcasts that I really like that are great um, if you want to kind of pursue this meditation listening. Abide Christian Meditation. They come out with daily ones. They're about only 10 minutes long, 12 minutes long. You can just listen to it. Great way to just start your morning Midday, you know, Reset. And the other podcast I really like is Rush, Holy Spirit in Modern Life. This is both of them. Just a great way to engage your spirit openly, honestly, before God. If you don't like those, I'll give you a book. (laughs) If you like the paper, I'll give you a book. So I'd like to invite our worship team back up as we transition to worship. Let me pray. God, we are are thankful that we can just come to you in our full selves just as we are. That we don't have to figure it all out before you engage with us. God, I pray as we pursue you and pursue truth and pursue the depths of you and our faith that you would just respond in your grace and give us new insights and new levels of understanding of ourselves and you. And God, we invite you to this space. We invite your presence and we're thankful for your presence here and I pray that you Um, would just meet us as we bring ourselves to worship now. At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to lifemuhammad.org.